Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? All right, today we are talking about something so near and dear to my heart because it's something that I created for the Behavior Hub. It is our emotional literacy blueprint or emotional intelligence blueprint. Basically, it is the framework that guides our organization, how we work with schools and how we work with families and how to help people have a very clear sequence and plan to regulate their emotions, both child and adult. So, I'm going to run you through the outline of this framework today, and I hope you gain some valuable tidbits from it. All right, so four steps to our frame, frame, our framework, and the first one is categorizing. Can't speak today. Categorizing your emotions, and I know that sounds kind of strange, <clears throat> kind of odd, but what we're doing here is we're essentially recognizing our emotional state. And that is the first step of a (laughs) struggle bus today, but we're going to keep going. The first step of emotional regulation is recognizing your emotional state. Because if you don't know what state you're in, which state you're in, or where on a continuum you fall of states, how do you know that you need to do something different to change your state? So that's the first step. And I'm going to go into a bit more detail about it, but I want to tell you the other three steps first. Step two, create some type of area designated for calming down, coping, chilling out. You can call it Zen zone, peace zone, whatever you want. For kids, it can be designed around their needs and more kid-like. For adults, it could just be a space you define that you go. Um, So like a bedroom or an office, or maybe it's a walk, but make sure that you can access it when the weather is not so nice. Step three, is teaching and learning all kinds of all kinds of coping calming mechanisms to use to change your state to the state you want to be in. And the last one is problem solving. And you can do this with both yourself and with your kiddos, but essentially walking through these very basic problem solving steps to put something in place so that you're not triggered next time or so that they're not triggered next time. So let's go into each of those four domains or those four areas of our framework. The first of which is that categorization. So I will teach kids one of two things, and this applies to adults as well. You don't maybe need to use the chart or use the hand signal, but at least knowing in your mind that there are basically these four zones of emotions and we fall into any one of the four zones at any point throughout the day. So zone one, what I call the blue zone for young kids. If it's teens, I'll just do zones one, two, three, four. I might tie it to the colors, but I just want them to recognize that there are four zones. Blue zone is low energy. 
tired, sick, sad. Then you've got your green zone. That's your optimal zone. That's where you're focused and you're happy and you're calm. Then you've got the yellow zone and that's where you are kind of losing control. You're getting frustrated. You're maybe worried. And then you've got your red zone where you are completely out of control and um, we, we don't want to be there at least too long. It's okay though. The big thing I need you to know, I need to tell your kids and teach your kids it's okay to be in any of those zones. It is not wrong to be in the yellow or the blue or the red. It's not wrong to be angry or super frustrated. What's wrong is how we respond to being angry or upset or frustrated. But the biggest thing they need to know and they need to see this normalize is that we as adults go through those zones. They as children go through the zones. They are not a bad person or a bad child because they're not in the green zone. That's normal. It's normal. It's okay. Don't let that piece of information go. This is normal. Okay. So if it's a kid that doesn't relate to the zones too much, and if you search, this idea comes from a couple of different programs, from the alert program, from the zones of regulation. There's an emotional thermometer. I kind of blended all of them and pulled out components that I liked. Um, but if you search zones of regulation, you'll, you'll see online, there are all kinds of charts for this. And charts that have Marvel characters and charts that have inside out characters and charts that just have emojis. So you can create your own or you can uh, find one online. But there's the barking dog wise owl hand signal from Dan Siegel's work that came out of, uh, well, Georgetown University took it and really broke it down because Dan Siegel does upstairs brain, downstairs brain. Georgetown took it to the level of a young child for barking dog wise owl, which I think is much easier to understand. So essentially we've talked about this in previous episodes, but your thumb is the barking dog. It's your emotional control center. It barks or it moves when you get emotionally elevated. Then you've got your four fingers on top and that's your wise owl and it flies away. It's your thinking brain, your prefrontal cortex. So with that and relating that to the zones, in the blue zone, your dog is stagnant or sleeping or not alert. And we need it to be alert because you want to at least be alert. You can be calm and focused and be alert, but you can't be fully present if you're groggy or sick or tired or sad. Um, so we want to do something to activate it, to give it a little bit of energy, to get it in that right optimal zone. When dog is in, when barking dog is in the green zone, it's calm. It's not barking. It's present. It's ready. It's alert. It's just waiting. When dog is in the yellow zone, it starts to bark a little bit. Doesn't maybe quite square scare away the wise owl yet. But when you're in the red zone, dog is barking wildly and it scares away the wise owl, meaning we can't access logic and reason when we are in the red zone. It's just not really possible in terms of brain biology. Um, now, there are different layers and levels where people can teeter between accessing it and not, but you'll notice that with a kid, when you have a child who's in the red zone and you're trying to talk to them or redirect them, it usually doesn't work. And that's because their wise owl is turned off. Okay. So the first thing I do is I teach that. I either teach the zones chart or I teach the barking dog wise owl hand signal. Once they grasp that, then we go into the next one, which is creating that Zen zone, that calm space, that whatever it is. So in there, and I wrote a whole blog post on this sequence. Plus we designed an entire, very in, in detailed and in-depth, combined those words, course on this whole thing, how to implement it, implement it, how it looks, what are examples. Um, so 
if you really want to jump into this and you want to fully adopt it, the best place to start would be that course because it would guide you through from start to finish, from understanding to implementation. And that's on our website. But step two is that calm coping area. So for kids, it might be some place that you design or you set up. It could be a tent. It could be a calming cube that you buy. It could be an area defined by a carpet. It could be their bedroom. It could be some place in the house. For you as an adult, it might be a chair or a space in the house, or if it's at school, maybe it's a faculty room, or maybe it's a, a faculty bathroom, like just some place to go to get peace and quiet for a second and neutralize your energy. Because sometimes, especially for kids, it's hard to get to neutral in the heat of the moment and they need to physically remove themselves. And I still as an adult do this. When I get into a heated debate with my significant other, I will tell him, hey, I just need a minute. So I'm going to step outside or I'm going to step into the bedroom or I'm going to go for a walk. And then we can continue this conversation when I get back. Because I know that if I keep trying to talk to him when my dog is barking, it's not going to go well. But if I can utilize a space, a calming space to calm my barking dog, that I can come back and be present in that conversation. So for, for younger kids, you might put like some sensory toys or some soft things or some calming pictures or books or things like that. You could put that chart in there as well for them to, to be able to see. So define that, name it for yourself, for your kids. That way your brain knows where to go when you're upset. If we just try and go somewhere without defining it, the brain's like, oh, where do I go? I can't think because I can't access my brain, my logical brain, my thinking brain. So define that area. Step three, teaching calming coping strategies. So there are calming coping strategies that are reactive, like movement and touch and breathing. And then there are calming coping strategies that are preventative that we want to use uh, before behaviors occur to help get us to neutral faster. And that would be mindfulness, meditation, yoga, stretching. So I would encourage you to integrate both of these into your own life and your child's life or your students' lives. And you can do so by pairing them with habits. Like if you have a morning routine, pair it somewhere with your morning routine. If you have a bedtime routine, pair it somewhere with your bedtime routine. But the biggest thing here is your brain can't recall it when your dog is barking because remember, your, your thinking brain is kind of turned off. So you have to practice these so that they come naturally to you in those moments so that they're easily pulled from your memory system. So practice, practice, practice. Step four, problem solving. And that's, it's not something you need to do for every breakdown, but for the bigger problems you're facing, I would highly encourage you to go through these steps. So four steps. You felt I felt problem solution. Get a piece of paper, write this down. You state what you think the child felt by doing that. You're validating them and bringing their energy down to neutral. And in this conversation, it might not be able to happen in the moment. It might need to happen a couple hours later, a couple minutes later, a couple days later. So make sure that everyone's in the right state to have this conversation. You felt, I think you were feeling frustrated because, so we don't say you were feeling because we can't tell them how they're feeling. Only they know that but we can state what we think they were feeling. I think you were feeling frustrated because I was feeling really angry because the problem is whatever the problem is. And that's what you write down on the paper. Let's try and come up with some ideas to deal with this differently next time or respond differently next time. And then collectively you and the child come up with ideas for what to do differently next time. And the, answers can be all over the board. And young kids will sometimes say something that, that is unrealistic. Like I had a child say, well, next time I get frustrated because someone sits in the seat I want to sit in, then I will jetpack out of the school. 
And although that's not possible, I did write it down because it is a solution, not a realistic one, but I at least like the effort of the child coming up with a solution. And I write down all the solutions that we come up with on that paper and we mutually decide on one and I put it somewhere where I can see it or they can see it. So the next time that scenario is going to come up or does come up, I remind them, hey, remember, next time that happens, here's what we're going to try. And you can do the same thing for yourself as an adult. If you're triggered or you respond a certain way, you can think about how did you feel? How did the other person feel? What's the problem? What can you do differently next time? I do this with myself all the time. It's really, really helpful, but it takes time to slow down and address this. So either you can invest the time initially, slow down, solve the problem, or you can keep giving time to it in the future as kids or yourself continue to break down because you haven't come up with an alternative solution. So I would highly encourage you to do it. And this strategy, I feel like is so important and not only included it in our emotional intelligence course, but I also created a mini course on just this topic. So there's, there are blog posts on it. There are mini courses on it all on our website. Check them out. Learn the strategy. This alone by itself can be really helpful outside of the intelligence blueprint. All right. So those are your four steps. All of those things designed to be easily integrated into your everyday. There's not a ton of separate time or teaching or all of these things that you have to do. It's just integrating them into what you already do. And that's, that can be done quite seamlessly, especially after you initially introduce the chart. It doesn't always need direct planned instruction, but just micro moments of teaching here and there. And again, worth the investment because it develops emotional intelligence. Why do we need emotional intelligence? Why do kids need this? I don't think I ever had it. I don't think anyone ever taught me these things. Actually, I know that no one ever taught me these things. Therefore, as an adult, I didn't learn how to calm down when I got upset and would respond in ways that were unpleasant for the people around me, or at least my most comfortable people, like my significant other and and close friends. But it also helps people to function well in the work environment and the community and all these other places. So emotional literacy, emotional intelligence is so important for so many other things just then, other than reducing our own stressors of educating and raising children. This is a life skill that kids don't get and really, really need. I mean, can you imagine a world where people are able to pause before responding and filter and actually control and manage their emotions. I would say control their emotions, but manage their emotions and kind of work through them very quickly and get back to neutral. Like what a crazy concept. So wrap up with, you can take each of these components and you can do them individually. They work best together, but the common coping strategies need to be used when we're not in the green zone to get us back to the green zone. We're always aiming for the green zone, but it's not wrong to not be in the green zone. That was a lot and a little bit about of time. And thanks for bearing with me as I stumbled over my words in the beginning, but um, it's the message that counts. (laughs) And that takes us to today's listener question, which comes from Tennessee. And the question is, how do we get parents to carry over with recommendations regarding behaviors? So this would obviously be coming from a teacher and maybe parents are wondering the same. So my answer would be this. One, are you presenting this in a way where the person that you're asking 
to do something sees and understands why they should be doing it. They need to know why they should be doing it and what benefit it's going to bring to them. Because if it's not going to bring them some type of benefit, some type of relief from something or give them back some time or energy, you're not going to have the motivation to do it. So if they aren't following through, it's because they're not motivated and it's because they don't know why they're doing it or what benefit it's going to bring them. So make that clear. Think of it as like a sales pitch. You got to pitch it well, because if it's not pitched well, people aren't going to buy in. Also, we all have a lot on our plates all the time, especially now. So, can you take what they're ask what you are take can you take what you are asking them to do and really break it down into micro steps and break it down so that um, what you're asking them to do seems very simple and easy and it's not a big task to take on. So micro steps really help. We talk about that a lot in all these episodes because that's what that's what's sustainable. Not huge jumps, but micro steps. And the last is they might need some accountability. Just telling something to someone one time may not uh, help them to to utilize it or to remember to use it. So check in with them. Maybe set dates on the calendar. Uh, maybe put dates on your calendar to remind them. If you wanted to hear things multiple times in order to remember to use them. And accountability is really helpful because when we have to check in with people, we're more likely to follow through. So Make sure you're sharing the why, get them motivated, break it down, and hold them accountable by checking in and continuing to tell them or ask them over and over again so uh, that it sticks in their brain. All right, we're going to wrap up the show today with our try it at home tip, which is one of my favorites, shaking. So interestingly enough, when animals in the environment... uh, when their nervous system is is kicked into the sympathetic side, that fight, flight, freeze, fawn response, the all these things happen. Their heart rate goes up. <laughs> we as humans, we might like sweat. You you can feel this tension in your muscles as your muscles gear up to do something. And what we need is we need once once that stressor is gone, once the animal has escaped from its. Uh, predator, then they need to return to homeostasis. They need to return to neutral, as I call it. And one of the ways animals do this is by shaking. So if you've ever watched National Geographic, zebras do this when they are being chased by one of their predators, they escape and you'll see them like shaking. And it's not shaking because they're scared necessarily. It's shaking because they are trying to return their body to that homeostasis. Uh, So it's like their skin, if you watch, their skin is kind of shaking. Um, it's not like a, a a terror shake. It's like a shake to neutralize the nervous system. So we as adults can utilize this and kids can utilize this too. And I think kids would get a lot of joy out of kind of understanding that concept and knowing that they're shaking like an animal to feel better or to get back to uh, the green zone. But uh, you can shake any part of your body. So you can isolate hands, isolate legs, isolate core or bum or whatever it is, or you can shake the whole body. Um, If not shaking, I would say jumping or twisting or turning or hanging. Any of those things would fall into similar lines of shaking and would help us return to the green zone or homeostasis. All right. So that is it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember today's tried at home tip, shaking. And if you would like me to answer your question on a future episode, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com. 
And until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer and thanks for joining me.